So why, we've been talking about Acts chapter 2, verse 42, dealing with these four principles. He said the, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. And these are the four legs that creates this great divine stool that we can have balance. Now, I know people talk about a three-legged stool, but I'm not interested in three-legged stool. You get Virgil's age, you need four-legged. <laughs> so, gut milk has everything to do. We've been dealing with a series about the sincere milk of the Word of God. Sincere. Adelphus is a word that means it's the real deal. Not 1%, not 2%, not skim milk. And that's what's wrong with most of you, is that you're only getting skim and half and 2%. You need the real Word of God. And the Bible says that, and desire this milk. It means demand it. You should walk in this door and demand it of me. And if I went to another church, I don't know where I'd go, but I'll tell you what, I appreciate good music. But if that knucklehead behind the podium is not giving me the real deal, I'm going to, I'm going to require him to either do it or I'm out the door. Because it is only the Word of God that will cause us to grow. So we, we've been through this, Lord, for a long time. So last week we talked about fellowship, the, the, the four ships. And, and, and so i got to finish, i got to finish last week on the lighter side. So it, I always kind of start serious. And that's a great cow. We're going to have that cow at the men's breakfast next Sunday. But um, we, we're going to have, we, we, we're talking about fellowship. We, we need one another. We're corner. It's a word called cornelia where we get a corn, where it means currency. You have more value to your life when you're around other godly people. That's where it is. Oh, I know you can stay home and be poor. I understand that. But why don't you come around and even if you're a little low in funds like me, I can hang around somebody that maybe has got a little bit of spiritual currency that can loan me or just say, here, I got more than I need. Here, just take my joy. That'd be a good deal. So this is the idea this morning as we began talking about fellowship. So why is it, somebody texted me two weeks ago, why is it that you, all you do is hound the Word of God? And they mean it in a nice way. So here's an answer. I'm glad you asked for all inquiring wants to know. We found out last week before we left you, it's found in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And this is what it says. And while Peter was speaking the word of God. Now the Greek lexicon, the word words, I mean, he's not up there telling a poem. He's not giving him a your rehearsal of how to catch fish. So you need to understand, well, Peter was yet speaking the word of God. The Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. Here's the magic in this. We talked about this last week. The word fail, this word fail is used in basically one other time in all scripture and it's found in the prodigal son's father. Epipipto. And epipipto is two words in Greek. It means to fall or embrace with someone with passion and compassion. You see, when the prodigal son's father, the Bible talks about, we're not going to go this because I've got a long ways to go with this. But the idea of this, that when his son finally came to himself and came home, the father was watching. But this is the deal. The father immediately ran to him and he said, hey, slide me five going by. Give me a belly bump. <laughs> he didn't. The boy came home after a long time, smelled like pigs, and had F's all on his report card. But when the father saw him, he epipipto him, he ran and embraced him so hard that he landed on top of him, hugging him and kissing him and embracing him. 
The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in this church and the Holy Spirit in, uh, that is working in this world, it's not tongues, it's not interpretation, it's not dancing around the Spirit, it's, it's not none of these things. I've done it, uh, it's in me, I can do it, it's okay, I'm with you. I'm not against any of that. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit that's been activated on planet Earth is to, when you hear the Word of God, He makes you feel loved, wanted, and accepted. And it only comes, Thomas, when the Word is preached. It only comes when the Word of God is spoken with clarity. Preachers proclaim, teachers explain. And as I try to un 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 unravel this, this mystery for you through the years, I'm getting you to understand that you get it and you understand it, and all of a sudden when you get to understand it and you say this, He loves me. That's why John said, kept saying, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm the disciple whom Jesus... He wasn't bragging, Philip. He finally figured it out. He loves me. Doofus and all. And when Peter was speaking simple principles, the Holy Spirit and embraced them, loved them. There's no feeling in the world like being loved and accepted and wanted, not only by other people, but to realize that God loves you, accepts you, and wants you just like you are. And you've heard me say it a million times ago. He's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for progress. So I'm that guy that will love you, and then I'll kick you in the rear end as we go at the same time. You know that. So the idea of what the Holy Spirit is doing and why it's so important I preach the Word of God is because hopefully through, through 10 or 12 minutes that I only speak on Sunday mornings, that hopefully as you begin to receive the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to fall on you, and I don't need you jumping around the building. I just want you to understand, He's trying to love you. He's trying to get a hug. So this morning, as we begin this process about fellowship and divine fellowship, this is where we left you last week. And when he comes in your life, the Bible talks about there are some attributes of the Holy Spirit, There's, and one of them is, is that he will give you peace. And we say this, remember John 14, 27, he will not leave us in peace. He'll leave us in, not in peace, but he'll leave us in peace. He gives us a sense of rest. And the word peace is a word called irony. It means that we're, our heart is connected to God's heart, and, and we're at rest because God's at rest. Well, the reason why that is so important because the Holy Spirit is here to do something in your life that maybe you're not aware of it, but, but I will tell you, one of the first attributes of what God is trying to do in your life, watch this, and be in fellowship with God, is God desires to give you rest. This thing is not about being in fellowship with one another. It is, but it's being in fellowship with God. And I want you to know God is not worried, He's not frantic, and God is not pacing the floor. He is at rest. You understand that? He's at rest. God says, I'm good. I got it all in control. You may not see it. You may not understand it, but nothing has escaped my eyes or my hands. So one of the verses we talked about is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and to you new ones, and we won't even call you out. We, we, I mean, after 30 years, you've heard me say everything, but this is what Jesus, he's sitting, he's sitting on a fountainside and and there's a crowded, the streets are crowded. He's not by his disciples. He's watching traffic go back and forth. It's kind of like, that's what we do when you get old. You just like to go watch people. You know, there's some strange people in the world. Do you know that? And I'm going to tell you right now, for you, there's some strange people over there on that side. But Gail and I will get somewhere where we go and we'll just sit on a park bench and we'll just watch people go by. And I mean, there's some weird people. 
So Jesus is sitting there in the streets of Jerusalem, and he's, he, he makes this statement. He, he's watching the, the procedures, the religious activities back and forth and carrying other water and marching around. It doesn't matter. 37 times in the drinks offering that was, had to be occurred in the 38th time, they would shout with a blast of trumpets and all kinds of things. And this one, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laboring, and I'll give you rest. This word called kapalzo, and it doesn't matter to be overloaded. These people are stressed. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. We know this, but I want you to hear me loud and clear. There are two rests involved in these two scriptures. Two rests. Now, the first rest, he says, in, in, in the first verse, 28, is a word called anapau. And anapau, by definition, means retirement. I'm done. I'm through. It's over. When Jesus is, is, it has reference to this, to their salvation, no more working, no more striving, no more, no more lengthening the dress or stacking the bun on top of your head, no more. No more piling the makeup off and on. It has nothing to do with righteousness. Our righteousness comes from King Jesus. Okay. So he says, he said, are you, are you, are you heavy laden? Are you overworked? And all these things. He said, if you'll come to me, the Greek says he's patting like a father would pat on his knee. If you'll just come to me, as, as, as Psalm says, he that sits in the lap of God, he that dwelleth in the most secret place of the, shall abide under the shadow. It means the man that sits in the lap of God shall say that he is my refuge and my fortress. That's what the Hebrew means. If you'll just sit in the lap of God. And Jesus said, if you'll just sit in the lap of God because he was God, I'll give you rest. It's over. You don't have to work for your salvation anymore. But the next thing he says, and then you will find rest for your souls. And, and a lot of times, if you're not careful, preachers can really get this messed up. The word souls is a word called suke. It means mind. Not only will Jesus give us, he said, watch this, learn of me. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. How do we learn of him? It's through his word. Are you all with me? We, we should never guess about this. How do we learn about Jesus and God? It's through his word. That's how we know him. And so he said, this is what happens. Not only A, number one, that I will give you rest for your eternal soul and no longer, once you're saved, listen to me, you're saved, you're good. But number two, your mind can still be in the gutters and going through hell. You can be saved and not really realize it. You can be saved and your mind still being tormented. And that's my job. I can't save your soul, but I can help try to save your brain. So for Nisol says a word for save brains. I can back that up. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1 and 7, but a power, love, and what? Sound mind. So for Nephos, save brains. I got the power of God. Woohoo! I got the love of God. But your brains is still in trouble. So Jesus said, He said, Come. All you there heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. I will settle the issue of working your way to heaven. You can retire. I'm glad I can retire because I'll never be good enough. Oh, this section over here thinks they are, but you're not. I'll tell you right now. But after I gave my life to Christ and my heart was settled once and for all, 
The problem is never in my heart. The problem is always between the left ear and the right ear. Am I the only one here who has a problem with that? Dixon, you? You all right? Yeah, he is. All right. So what happens is, as we learn of him through his word, he does something to our mind. He gives our brain rest. I rest in you, Lord. Be still and know that I'm God. Say. So the Message Bible puts it like this. It's a great version. Are you tired? And feel free to say amen every once in a while. Let's start over. Are you tired? Oh, you don't have to fake it. Are you worn out? Now we're going. Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. And get away with me and, and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to go on a real cruise. <laughs> Walk with me. Peripateo means to flow in circles with me, dance with me, and work with me. And watch how I do it. It's fascinating. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Seven or eight, nine years ago, I, I talked about this. Unforced rhythms of grace. So for, for, for some of you that are new, and I, I always pick on Philip, he's new, so he just... I went to school with his daddy, so I'm getting back at you for what your daddy did to me, so... <laughs> So Jesus is sitting beside him with the crowd, and, there's, and, there's, and there's, there's all kinds of animals and burros and chickens and sacrifices just all around, and now that he's, he's giving them this illustration. And he gets to this, he, gets this, he said, are you tired? And, and these people that are carriers of water and carriers of goats and pigeons and doves, he said, are you burned out on religion? They go, oh boy, you're telling it. But this is all we know. And he said, if you'll walk with me and watch how I do it. Go back to that scripture, please. Watch how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. He said, if you'll watch me. So some of you have seen this before, but, but, but Jordan has got us about a 30-second little video. So let, let's show this. This comes from Catherine's Chicken Yard. So these chickens, they all have feathers, but they have one thing in common. They're, just, they're stuck to the ground. They can't fly. Oh, they may get off the ground for about five seconds, but that's about it. So basically, there's just chickens running around and running around. And Jesus said, but I, I have something different from you. I want you to do that. Now, that's a live picture. Watch this. The wings do not flap. Unforced rhythms of grace. So this morning, you can say, well, I'm a Christian, and, and I got feathers. I understand. And all you do is you're stuck to the ground, and, 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 and you know, the, the chef keeps looking at you, and you know why. But if, if you're not careful, you're, you're in the foul variety, and I understand that in the nicest way, not like foul, foul, but foul, foul. 
But, but the idea was this. He said, you've lived your whole life hitting and pecking and scurrying and flapping and balking and balking. And he said, that's no life. I'd like to teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. I'd like for you to learn to get to another atmosphere where there's no more flapping of wings. The one thing about grace, the unforced rhythm of grace is this, for all of us that we feel like there were, we're nothing but a just bunch of chickens in a pen and we're just pecking at one another and, and all this stuff. But Jesus said, are you tired of that? Are you tired of religion? Are you tired of being a red rooster? Jordan got all kinds of chickens. I mean, are you tired of that? Are you tired of being white-legged and all that and all that? But here's the bottom dollar is this. You may be, be a, a variety of chickens, but you're not getting off the ground. You may have feathers, but you can't fly. But he said, if you will walk with me and watch me, I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll teach you how to get to another atmosphere. And in this other atmosphere, as you saw that eagle, that what happens is there's no effort involved. It's just, it's just, it's just flowing. It's, it's just gliding in the currents that's higher than the earth. What we as believers, if you really want to, no matter what goes on here in this earth, this is what God's trying to do. He's trying to get us to another atmosphere. Because you've heard me say the whale lives in one atmosphere, but he has to breathe another. He has Nemo, his friend, but he says, I'll be back. And they say, where are you going? He said, I can't breathe what you breathe. See, I'm not against sinners because Jesus loves sinners and I, I was one, but I want you to know I, I can't breathe in the cesspool of this world. I can hold my breath and I've got friends that are not saved and I'm going to be nice and I'm going to be cordial to them and I'll, and I'll be respectful, but I want you to know I cannot breathe the same atmosphere they breathe. God has designed in me and you, if we're born again, to breathe in another atmosphere. That's his breath. And the Bible says that only when Adam inhaled, God exhaled, he became a living soul. So you can have feathers and you can have denominations and you can have all types of varieties, but I'm asking you this, is it struggling and is it working and are you really getting off the ground? If the answer is no, then there's a better way. Learn of Jesus. Watch him. He'll show you how to do it. He constantly talked to his father. He knew how to turn the cheek. He knew how to do different things. And in that process, he would show them the unforced rhythms of grace. And instead of that big old bird up there flapping and gawking and struggling, and he just, he just gliding. Don't it make you mad when you see Christians just gliding around? <laughs> Dad, bird. Don't, don't you know that this is going on and our government's doing this and this and that? I know it. I'm so stinking mad at this. I understand. I live in the same world you do. Well, why aren't you mad? Because I'm in another atmosphere. I'm not better than you. I'm just beyond that. I refuse to live my life as a chicken in a chicken pen. Well, there's a lot of pecking going on. I found out, I found out that life is better when I get to another atmosphere and just say, God, I trust you. I honor you. I may not understand it, but I don't have to understand it. And I want you to teach me how I get to a place where these things does not overwhelm me. 
And he will. He will. And the way that he does that is just simply this, that he just begins to elevate you. He begins to bring you into heavenly places. And in this process of this, this atmospheric change, you begin to understand that I promise you, I love God more now than I ever have, and I probably am doing one-tenth of the service for him than I ever have outside this podium. Because I really thought they told me I had to work, 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 work. Somebody said, I'd rather burn out for God than rush out for the devil, but either way, you're out. So I got tired, and I said, I quit. It's over. I can't do enough. I can't be good enough. I can't please everybody. God knows I can't please the people in the front row, so... What's the use? And then I learned about the unforced rhythms of grace. And I'll tell you, I've never been the same since. So as I told you, oh, it's, this was last week's sermon. I just never got to it. So now then, I'm going to tell you a little Bible story, then we're going to go home. How's that? So it's recorded in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew. Uh, I think Mark 6 and, and John 6. But it's a story about Jesus walking on the water. So here's a scoop. Don't look at your Bible. You should read it at home. So don't start now. <laughs> so the Bible says when he broke the loaves and fishes, and remind me next week, some of you don't know this, I'll show you a tremendous thing next week about this. But he broke the loaves and fishes to, to, to the 5,000, but they were, not, they were probably 50,000 because it was 5,000 Andreas' men and they were in the head of household. So there's 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and God only knows, Maddie, how many kids they had. So, so what happens is, is that after he breaks the loaves and fishes and so on and so forth, and he says, I want you guys to go to the other side. And Sea of Galilee was about, about seven miles across. So it, it should have took them no more than two hours. So the Bible says in Matthew, it will tell you when evening come. So when evening come, and that's very important. And I don't want you to turn there. Don't turn there. But you can read it. When evening came, he put them in a the boat, and he said, I'll, I'll get with you. I'll catch up to you. And I thought, well, that's weird. The, the Jews divided their nights into three, four hours. But the Romans divided the nights for three hours. Ask me why. D don't ask me why. That, and who cares? <laughs> so, so, so he sends them in the boat somewhere around 6 p.m. When you use the word evening, it means the first watch of evening. So you know how this goes halfway out there, the storm begins to blow, the wind begins to blow, and they're going, we're all going to die, and we've all said that together, you know. We're all going to die. We're not going to get out of here. And then the Bible says on the fourth watch, they see Jesus coming, tiptoeing. And you understand what happens. What's so fascinating about this is what's this? Is that they got in the boat somewhere around 6 p.m., and he doesn't come between the hours of... 4 to 6 a.m. We're going to say 3 to 6. They should have already been on the other side in an hour and a half. Now they're, they're only in the middle of the sea and they've been rowing for 10 hours. Are y'all with me? You know why you pay me to do this because I just, I just I like to do this stuff. So for 10 hours, these, these sailors, these seamen, these fishermen, they're out in the middle. They've been struggling and toiling. They were toiling, it doesn't matter. But they, have to, they are writing their last will and testament. We're not going to make it. For 10 solid hours, they are wore out. And here comes Jesus. 
All right? The reason why I'm telling you this, because it's so important, is because I need you to know how long they've been out there struggling. Life is a struggle. Has anybody figured that out besides me? Life is a struggle. The people you work with is a struggle. Rachel, the guy you go home with, that's a struggle. I understand. You ought to be carried. Woo! So these guys have been on the water for 10 solid hours. They are absolutely wore completely out. And here comes Jesus, and he says a couple things to them. In John chapter 6, watch this. It says this. And then they willingly received Jesus in the ship, and immediately the ship was that land on the other side. Yeah, it's a good word. I'll tell you what it means. Then it'll be a great word. Several years ago, that we had a lady in the church, her and her husband, a little younger than us, uh, they called us and said, She's got stage four or five cancer. They gave her 8% chance to live. Eight. I think at that time, I, I'm going to get it wrong. She's probably in her early 40s. A picture of health. Bubbly, just picture of health. And I knew when they walked in the door, I knew something was wrong. And uh, so I told Gail, I said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to commit ourselves to them. I'll get somebody to preach. I'll go get a a chimp from Frank Bug Zoo to get up here and play the piano. But we are going to commit ourselves to them. That's what it is. So I looked at them. I said, this is the deal. I'm going to go where you go. I'll stay where you go. You're going to get tired of looking at me and all, all that. You know that. So they were going to MD Anderson. And I had never been, I don't know if I've ever been in Houston before, maybe once, but I doubt it. And I don't know about you, but MD Anderson, Houston, downtown Houston at 5 o'clock, it's a little different than Overbrook. I'll tell you. Eight lanes on each side of just madness. Especially when we just beat them in football. It's not pleasing. So I told Gail, I said, we're going to go. So we made about, I don't know. I know one time we made about, I've told some of you this, but I I know in two weeks we made four trips. I I think we made four trips in seven days. And what it was, they'd have an appointment. We'd go down there. We still had to work. Gail had the daycare. And at 2 o'clock or whatever the appointment was, we drive down there and, and we just be with them to see what's going on. And we turn around and drive back late and get up next work. And this, is, this went on for about three or four months. And I just drove because Gayla didn't like all the big traffic and I don't blame her. She prays a lot when I drive. I don't understand that. She sings songs like, Near My God to Thee and stuff like that. Sweet Jesus. I thought she was having revival, but it was my driving. So I just want to be honest with you about this. But as the weeks and and the trips got in, I I got a little angry with people. Because it's about five or six hard hours down there, and boy, my neck muscles are getting tired, and people cutting you off, and people want to slam on their brakes in front of you, and people waving at you with one finger and telling you that you're great and all that. And, and, and on the way down there, I remember the last trip we had to be in that evening. And first thing out of Carter County, somebody cut me off, and I'm yelling and screaming and throwing a Bible at them and all that. And it, it, it didn't get any better. We worked most of that day and got off down in through there, and I'm aggravated, had to stop for gas, and, and, you know, I'm just frustrated. So anyway, it doesn't matter. So we go to the appointment with them, and they said, can you spend the night? And I said, I cannot we got to get back. 
And I think it was about 7.30. It was the summertime. And so we, I told Gail, I said, we, I've got to get gas somewhere before I start home. She said, won't you let me drive? I said, you're not driving. You're not driving. So we stopped and get gas about, oh, half a mile from where the hospital was. And I go in to pay, put the credit card in. You know what it says? See cashier. Now, you know, I hate that. Does anybody, thank you. I hate to stick it in there. If I wanted to go to the cashier, I'd have went to the cashier first. I don't, want to, I don't even know the cashier. I don't want to see him or her. I just want to pay at the pump and go. So I remember putting that card in there, and I said, ah, oh, I've got to go see the cashier. So I come out, and the cashier turns the pump on, and I'm sitting there, and, it's, and now it's about dark, and I had to go in there and sign the paper come back. Something was different. Oh, my car was there, but my little wife had moved. She's in the driver's seat. Now, see, one thing about it, I've always said this. You know, my wife always drives. She just lets me hold the steering wheel. I understand that. But now she moved over. And I looked at her, and I said, Gayla, I'm no mood for this. And she just smiled. She goes, I said, roll down the window. She just smiled. She goes, get in. I said, I'm not getting in. You're moving over. She goes, she's smiling, just smiling. And I'm sitting there with my neck popping, you know, like when I go to the mall first thing. And I said, move over. I'm going to drive. She goes, she just turns up the radio, got the message going on. All I can hear is the message. My speaker is going boom, 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 boom. Sound like a cat in a dryer. I know that what that sounds like too, but never mind. And she said, just get in. So what am I supposed to do? So I got in. And she said, just put your seatbelt on and just relax. And the next thing that I heard was a blinker clicking at exit 31 at Ardmore. Now the question is, this word immediately, did he immediately shove them to the other side? And the answer is no. The word immediately means this, I had lost all bearings of time and space because I let my wife drive. And I went to sleep. See, these guys have been working for 10 hours and they're exhausted. They can't go anymore. And Jesus said, are you willing to let me drive? And when he stood up on the boat and took the helm, they all went. And immediately, it seemed like it to them, they were on the other side. You know how sweet life would be if we would just say, God, I'm moving over. I'm so frustrated with my life. I'm so frustrated with stuff. I'm so frustrated with my coworkers. I'm so frustrated with the government. I am so angry and God sent alone by the Holy Spirit. Won't you let me drive? I'm not going to let you drive. 
I'm the man of God here. And all along, we're being burned out. Worn out. And we're taking it home to our family. And when I sat in that seat, in that passenger seat, and immediately to me, I was home six hours later. It didn't seem six hours to me because I was sound asleep, resting. Go back to the scripture message, please. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Father, this morning that we're all in this, this jungle called life. The traffic is getting worse. Things are seems to be all around us that absolutely that we feel like the whole world has gone crazy. Ministers are quitting. Praise and worship leaders are giving up. Men and women God in the church are frustrated. And I just pray this morning that we understand this simple message. These disciples were very well aware of what it was like to be wore out. And I pray for every one of you this morning that, that I call you my friend. He has another way of life for you. It's called the unforced rhythms of grace. And you have, might have been so busy your entire life flapping your wings but never getting anywhere. And if we'll just listen to Jesus and watch him and trust him, he'll give you real rest. I didn't say he would change your situation. I just said he'd give you rest. He never changed the 300 and something miles from Houston to Ardmore. I just said, he gave me rest. So Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, for everyone in this place that is hurting and confused and aggravated and frustrated because he just comes standard equipped with life. I really don't ask you to change that situation. I'm just asking you to change them. Just let them soar with you. You've changed their heart. Now let's change their mind. Let's give their minds rest. And who can separate us from the love of God? No height, no debt, no bread. And what shall separate us from his love? For brethren, I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So this morning, Father, I pray for those that are hurting and struggling today. Teach us the unforced rhythms of grace. Let us feel for the first time what it's like just to live in a place of peace and rest. No performances. That we just trust you with everything we have. And we'll be better for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many is here besides me that's thankful for the grace of God in their life? Oh, I am. Oh, baby. Been a little snappy? Don't, don't answer that.
And all he's saying is this, I have a better life for you. Stand with me this morning, please. Turn to somebody beside you and say, you know what? I really, I really love you. I mean, at first when we came in here, I, I had my questions about you, but I really like you. Isn't God good? Father, take us. Take us to a place where we just flow in your grace and your goodness. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion. We celebrate it every week. Some people ask all the time, why do you celebrate it every week? Because number one, because Jesus told us to. And that ought to be good enough. But number two, it, it, it's like me carrying around. Anybody here besides me carry pictures around of grandkids and your wife? And Well, it, it's a reminder. Every once in a while on Facebook, especially we had Alex's birthday, and he come up on his birthday when he was one and two when he was born. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. When he was cuddled up and freshly unwrapped out of his mama's package. He, he was just so innocent and, and he's not he wasn't mischief like he is now. He's a human octopus now. But what really communion is is just remembering what Jesus has done for us. So he took the bread on that dreadful night and he said for 1500 years you've been celebrating this ordinance but been taking the unleavened bread, the bread that had no leaven in it. It was a, a bread of haste. But Jesus said, now then, I am the bread of life. And he took the bread and he broke it. Jesus became broken for us that we could be whole. Jesus became broken for your broken hearts and your broken lives and your broken homes and just your broken minds, your broken health. He became broken so you don't have to go through life broken. Then he took the cup. That cup was the third cup. It was a cup called redemption. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this, this ordinance of, of the shedding of the lamb's blood. You take it and place it upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But Jesus said, now I am the New Testament lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father will take my blood and He'll place it upon a cross in the shape of a cross for the atonement of sin. Take the bread, He said, and drink the cup and it will remind you of me. Father, this morning, more than any, anything in the world, I want to know unforced rhythms of grace. And I want to teach my sons what it's like to live in an atmosphere where God is king and man's rules and religions doesn't matter. I want to teach this church people what it's like to have unforced rhythms of grace that we can flow in God's goodness. So help us to accomplish that today in Jesus' name. Amen.